You're listening to Hidden History, and I'm your host, Ellis Tucci. If you know any way that we can improve our content for you, the listener, drop us a line at hiddenhistory.show forward slash contact. To catch up on all our past episodes and hear new ones every week, head on over to your Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or hiddenhistory.show and learn something new today. I'm finally back from my break, which means there's going to be a lot of new episodes of Hidden History coming to you each week for, well, the foreseeable future. To get back into the show, I'd like to do an episode that I've been planning to do for a long while. That's going to require us to talk about economic theories of rent, intellectual property, a board game you probably hate, and one you never knew existed. You're listening to Hidden History, and this is episode 42, The Landlord's Game. In order to fully discuss the subject at hand, we will, of course, need its context. To get at that, we have to go way back to 1776, to chapter 11 of Adam Smith's An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations. In chapter 11, titled Of the Rent of Land, Smith writes the following, The rent of land, therefore, considered as the price paid for the use of land, is naturally a monopoly price. It is not at all proportioned to what the landlord may have laid out upon the improvement of the land, or to what he can afford to take, but to what the farmer can afford to give. Smith's appraisal of rental economics directly influenced economist David Ricardo, who in 1819 released his most important work, on the principles of political economy and taxation. In this book, Ricardo theorized something called the Law of Rent, which states that the rent of land is determined by the excess of its product over that which the same application can secure from the least productive land in use. If that doesn't really make sense to you, then that's totally okay. Let's talk about it. What Ricardo is doing is creating a link between value and the marginal product of labor. Picture this. You have a plot of land, on which grow two peach trees. One of the trees is rooted in fertile soil and is bathed in constant sun, while neither of these conditions hold for the second tree. You hire two people to pick the fruit, one for each tree. The tree growing in favorable conditions is rich with larger and easier to pick peaches. As a result, in the same period in which the worker can pick one bushel of peaches from the poorly fertilized tree, the other can pick three bushels. That extra two bushel difference is what Ricardo refers to as rent, here defined as an economic surplus. This concept of an economic rent derived from natural conditions inspired an American economist by the name of Henry George. George would crystallize his theory in the 1879 book Progress and Poverty, an inquiry into the cause of industrial depressions and of increase of want with increase of wealth, the remedy. Understandably, 
The book is often referred to simply as Progress and Poverty. Motivated by the realization that the poor of urban and technologically developed New York City were worse off than the poor of rural and underdeveloped California, George argues that continual development exacerbates poverty conditions as the surplus of economic rents is controlled further and further by monopolists and landowners. As a solution to this inequality, George proposed multiple things the most influential of which were the land value tax and the public ownership of natural resource goods while maintaining the private ownership of derivative products. The land value tax, known as the LVT, is a tax based on the price of land distributed equally across a given area. The LVT is behind Henry George's maxim that everybody works but the vacant lot as the repeated sale of undeveloped land in communities profits from the conditions created by the community, which in turn does not see its benefits. But where do board games play into all of this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Elizabeth Maggie was born in 1866 in Maycomb, Illinois. As a child, her father introduced her to the theories of Henry George, and she soon became an ardent Georgist. By the early 1900s, she was living in Southern Maryland, and wanted to create a game that was critical of capitalism and taught its players about Henry George's ideas. She called it the Landlord's Game. It consisted of a square board lined with rectangular spaces with names like the Lickety-Cut Railroad, Socom Lighting Company, and Lord Blueblood's Estate. Every time players completed a revolution around the board, they passed a space labeled Labor Applied to Land Produces Wages. Collect $400. The goal of the game was to purchase property and collect rents demonstrating how land speculation enriched landowners and impoverished tenants. Maggie hoped that children would realize that the game was inherently unfair, geared in favor of the landowners, and that the recognition of such inequality would translate into socially conscious adulthood. To drive the lesson home, the landlord's game came with a second set of instructions, referred to as prosperity where the game would function with an LVT. Maggie and fellow Georgists formed the Economic Game Company of New York to publish it, and in 1910 approached Parker Brothers with her creation. George Parker declined to enter into a distribution agreement. At the same time, knowledge of the game was spreading throughout Maryland, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New York by word of mouth causing people to make their own game boards with slight personal changes. Maggie had been granted a patent for the game in 1904, but was effectively powerless to stop the tide of homemade game boards that were now being referred to by a single name, Monopoly. In 1924, she was granted a new patent on an improved version of the game, featuring new rules such as increased rents for improved properties, and rent increases when a player holds a utility monopoly. Again, she approached Parker Brothers. She was told that her game was, quote, too political. Eventually, a man named Daniel Lehman learned the rules of Maggie's game, 
and returned to his Indianapolis home to begin selling and marketing his own version. In Indianapolis, an Atlantic City native named Ruth Hoskins learned of the game, and upon her return, made another version with properties named after Atlantic City streets. The Atlantic City version of the game was then brought to Philadelphia by Eugene Rayford, who was sufficiently unfamiliar with Philadelphia as to prevent him from making his own version. He taught this game to a man named Charles Todd, who taught it to Esther, the wife of Charles Darrow, an unemployed heater salesman from the Germantown neighborhood of Philadelphia. Darrow saw promise in the game, and copied it out of whole cloth from the Todd version, even maintaining his misspelling of Marvin Gardens. Charles Darrow would never speak to the Todds again. After receiving rejection letters from Milton Bradley and Parker Brothers, the game sold extraordinarily well during the Christmas of 1934. On March 18, 1935, Parker Brothers bought the rights to Monopoly from Charles Darrow, helped him patent it, and bought his entire inventory. Upon learning that Darrow had not been the inventor of the game, Parker Brothers obtained an affidavit from Darrow himself, confirming that he was. Parker Brothers bought out Elizabeth Maggie's patent in 1935 for a grand total of $500. Charles Darrow became the first millionaire game maker in history and was mythologized within Parker Brothers lore as the true creator of Monopoly. They would go on to accredit his name to games he had no association with, earning him unimaginable sums in royalties. Elizabeth Maggie died in 1948, never having received the credit for creating one of the world's most popular board games. Charles Darrow died in 1967 a rich and famous man living high on stolen ideas. And that, my friends, is the story of how a game meant to show the ugliness of Monopoly capitalism ended up becoming one of its biggest celebrators. Tune in to next week's episode where we'll be talking about the cultural history of the hot dog. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History. Signing off.